Chapter Four of Marie Antoinette and Her Son. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maggie Travers. Marie Antoinette and Her Son by Louise Malbach. Chapter Four: The Queen's Necklace. Directly after a page arrayed in the attire of a miller's boy had announced the Baron de Brutelia, the king withdrew into his chamber and resumed his own proper clothing. He drew on the long, gray coat, the short trousers of black velvet, the long, gold-embroidered waistcoat of gray satin, and over this the bright, thin ribbon of the Order of Louis, the attire in which the king was accustomed to present himself on gala days. With troubled, disturbed countenance, he then entered the little apartment where his chief minister, the Baron de Brutelia, was awaiting him. "'Tell me quickly,' ejaculated the king. "'Do you bring bad news? Has anything unexpected occurred?' "'Sire,' answered the minister respectfully, "'something unexpected at all events, but whether something bad will be learned after further investigation.' "'Investigation!' cried the king. "'Then do you speak of a crime?' "'Yes, sire, of a crime, the crime of a base deception, and, as it seems, of a defalcation involving immense sums and objects of great value.' "'Ah,' said the king, with a sigh of relief, "'then the trouble is only one of money.' "'No, sire, it is one which concerns the honour of the queen.' Louis arose, while a burning flush of indignation passed over his face. "'Will they venture again to assail the honour of the queen?' he asked. "'Yes, sire,' answered Brutelia, with his invincible calmness. "'Yes, sire, they will venture to do so, and at this time it is so infernal and deeply laid a plan that it will be difficult to get at the truth. Will your majesty allow me to unfold the details of the matter somewhat fully?' "'Speak, baron, speak,' said the king eagerly, taking his seat upon a wooden stool and motioning to the minister to do the same. Sire, answered the premier with a bow, I will venture to sit, because I am, in fact, a little exhausted with my quick run hither. And is the matter so pressing? muttered the king, drawing out his tobacco box, and in his impatience rolling it between his fingers. Yes, very pressing, answered Brutalia, taking his seat. Does your majesty remember the beautiful necklace which the court jeweller, Bolmere, some time since had the honor to offer your majesty? "'Certainly I remember it,' answered the king, quickly nodding. "'The queen showed herself on that occasion just as unselfish and magnanimous as she always is. It was told me that Her Majesty had very much admired the necklace which Bohemere had shown to her, and yet had declined to purchase it, because it seemed to her too dear. I wanted to buy it and have the pleasure of offering it to the queen, but she decisively refused it. "'We well remember the beautiful answer which Her Majesty gave to her husband.' said Brutalia, gently bowing. All Paris repeated with delight the words which Her Majesty uttered. Sir, we have more diamonds than ships. Buy a ship with this money. You have a good memory, said the king, for it is five years since this happened. Bohemir has twice made the attempt since then to sell this costly necklace to me, but I have dismissed him and at last forbidden him to allude to the matter again. I believe that he has, meanwhile, ventured to trouble the queen several times about the necklace. It appears that he had almost persuaded himself that your majesty would purchase it. 
Years ago he caused stones to be selected through all Europe, wishing to make a necklace of diamonds which should be alike large, heavy, and brilliant. The queen refusing to give him his price of two million francs, he offered it at last for one million eight hundred thousand. "'I have heard of that,' said the king. "'Her Majesty was at last weary of the trouble, and gave command that the court jeweller, Bolmere, should not be admitted.' Every time, therefore, that he came to Versailles he was refused admittance. He then had recourse to writing, and two weeks ago Her Majesty received from him a begging letter, in which he said that he should be very happy if, through his instrumentality, the Queen could possess the finest diamonds in Europe, and employing Her Majesty not to forget her court jeweller. The Queen read this letter, laughing, to her lady-in-waiting, Madame de Compon, and said it seemed as if the necklace had deprived the good Beaumere of his reason but not wishing to pay any further attention to his letter or to answer it she burned the paper in a candle which was accidentally standing on her table good heaven how do you know these details asked the king in amazement sire i have learned them from madame de compon herself as i was compelled to speak with her about the necklace but what is it about this necklace what has the queen to do with that asked the king wiping with a lace handkerchief the sweat which stood in great drops upon his lofty forehead sire the court jeweller Beaumere, asserts that he sold the necklace of brilliance to the queen and now desires to be paid the queen is right exclaimed the king the man is out of his head if he did sell the necklace to the queen there must have been witnesses present to confirm it and the keepers of her majesty's purse would certainly know about it sire Beaumere asserts that the queen caused it to be bought of him in secret, through a third hand, and that this confidential messenger was empowered to pay down thirty thousand francs, and to promise two hundred thousand more. What is the name of this confidential messenger? What do they call him? Sire, answered the Baron de Bretelia solemnly. Sire, it is the cardinal and grand almoner of your majesty, Prince Louis de Rohan the king uttered a loud cry and sprang quickly from his seat rohan asked he and do they dare to bring this man whom the queen hates whom she scorns into relations with her ha brutalia you can go the story is too foolishly put together for any one to believe it your majesty Beaumere has in the meanwhile believed it and has delivered the necklace to the cardinal and received the queen's promise to pay written with her own hand who says that how do you know all the details sire i know it by a paper of Beaumere's, who wrote to me after trying in vain several times to see me the letter was a tolerably confused one and i did not understand it but as he stated in it that the queen's lady-in-waiting advised him to apply to me as a minister of the royal house i considered it best to speak with madame de champagne what i learned of her is so important that i begged her to accompany me to trinon and to repeat her statement before your majesty is compon then in trinon asked the king yes sire and on our arrival we learned that Beaumere had just been there and was most anxious to speak to the queen he had been denied admission as always and had gone away weeping and scolding come said the king let us go to trinon i want to speak with champon and with quick, rapid steps the king, followed by the minister Brutelia, 
left the mill, and shunning the main road in order not to be seen by the queen, struck into the little side path that led thither behind the houses. Champagne, said the king, hastily entering the little toilet room of the queen, where the lady-in-waiting was. Champagne, the minister has just been telling me a singular and incredible history. Yet repeat to me your last conversation with Beaumere. Sire, replied Madame de Champagne, bowing low, does your majesty command that I speak before the queen knows of the matter? Ah, said the king, turning to the minister, you see I am right. The queen knows nothing of this, else she would certainly have spoken to me about it. Thank God, the queen withholds no secrets from me. I thank you for your question, Champagne. It is better that the queen be present at our interview. I will send for her to come here. And the king hastened to the door, opened it, and called, Are any of the queen's servants here? The voice of the king was so loud and violent that the chamberlain, Weber, who was in the little outer antechamber, heard it and at once rushed in. Weber, cried the king to him, hasten at once to little Trinon. Beg the queen in my name to have the goodness to come to the palace within a quarter of an hour to consult about a weighty matter that allows no delay. But take care that the queen not be alarmed, and that she do not suspect that sad news has come regarding her family. Hasten, Weber. And now, Baron, continued the king, closing the door, now you shall be convinced by your own eyes and ears that the queen will be as amazed and as little acquainted with all these things as I myself. I wish, therefore, that you would be present at the interview which I shall have with my wife and Champagne, without the queen's knowing that you are near. You will be convinced at once in this way of the impudent and shameless deception that they have dared to play. Where does that door lead to, Champagne? asked the king, pointing to the white, gold-bordered door, at whose side two white curtains of white satin, wrought with roses, were secured. Sire, it leads to the small reception room. Will the queen pass that way when she comes? No, your majesty. She is accustomed to take the same way which your majesty took through the antechamber. Good. Then, baron, go into the little saloon. Leave the door open, and do you, Champagne, loosen the curtains and let them fall over the door, that the minister may hear without being seen. A quarter of an hour had scarcely elapsed when the queen entered the toilet chamber, with glowing cheeks and under visible excitement. The king went hastily to her, took her hand, and pressed it to his lips. Forgiveness, Marie, that I have disturbed you in the midst of your pleasures. Tell me quickly, cried the queen impatiently, what is it? Is it a great misfortune? No, Marie, but a great annoyance, which in so far a misfortune that in the name of your majesty is involved in a disagreeable and absurd plot. The court jeweller, Beaumere, asserts that he has sold a necklace to your majesty for one million eight hundred thousand francs. But the man is crazy, cried the queen. Is that all your majesty had to say to me? I beg that Champagne will repeat the conversation which she had yesterday with Beaumere. And the king beckoned with his hand to the lady-in-waiting, who, at the entrance of the queen, had modestly taken her seat at the back part of the room. How? cried the queen, amazed, now first perceiving Champagne. What do you hear? What does all this mean? Your Majesty, I came to Trinon to inform you about the conversation which I had yesterday with Beaumere. When I arrived, I found he had just been here. 
"'And what did he want?' cried the queen. "'Did you not tell me, Champagne, that he no longer possesses this unfortunate necklace, with which he has been making a martyr of me for years? Did you not tell me that he had sold it to the Grand Sultan to go to Constantinople?' "'I repeated to your majesty what Bohemir said to me. Meanwhile, I beg now your gracious permission to repeat my to-day's interview with Bohemir. Directly after your majesty had gone to Trinon with the Duchess de Pognac, the court jeweler Bohemir was announced.' He came with visible disquiet and perplexity, and asked me whether your majesty had left no commission for him. I answered him that the queen had not done so, that in one word, she had no commission for him, and that she was tired of his eternal pestering. But, said Beaumere, I must have an answer to the letter that I sent to her, and to whom must I apply? To nobody, I answered. Her majesty has burned your letters without reading it. Ah, oh, madame, cried he, that is impossible. The queen knows that she owes me money. I owe him money, cried the queen, horrified. How can the miserable man dare to assert such a thing? That I said to him, your majesty, but he answered with complete self-possession, that your majesty owed him a million and some five hundred thousand francs, and when I asked him in complete amazement for what articles your majesty owed him such a monstrous sum, he answered, for my necklace this miserable necklace again exclaimed the queen it seems as if the man made it only to make a martyr of me with it year after year i hear perpetually about this necklace and it has been quite in vain that with all my care and good will i have sought to drive from him this fixed idea that i must buy it he is so far gone in his illusion as to assert that i have bought it madame this man is not insane said the king seriously listen further go on champagne i laughed continued madame de champagne and asked him how he could assert such a thing when he told me only a few months ago that he had sold the necklace to the sultan then he replied that the queen had ordered him to give this answer to every one that asked about the necklace then he told me further that your majesty had secretly bought the necklace and through the instrumentality of the lord cardinal de rohan through rohan cried the queen rising through the man whom i hate and despise is there a man in france who can believe this and who does not know that the cardinal is the one who stands the lowest in my favour i said to mr bromere i said to him that he was deceived that the queen would never make a confidant of cardinal rohan and he made me this very answer you deceive yourself madame the cardinal stands so high in favor and maintains such confidential relations with her majesty that she had sent through his hands thirty thousand francs as a first payment the queen took this money in the presence of the cardinal from the little secretary of serva porcelain which stands near to the chimney in her boudoir and did the cardinal really say that i asked and when he reaffirmed it i told him that he was deceived he now began to very much be troubled and said good heaven what if you are right what if i am deceived there has already a suspicion come to me the cardinal promised me that on whit sunday the queen would wear the collar and she did not do so so this determined me to write to her when now full of anxiety he asked what advice i could give him i at once bade him to go to lord brutelia and tell him all he promised to do so and went but i hastened to come hither to tell your majesty the whole story but when i arrived i found the unhappy jeweller already here 
and he only went away after I gave him my promise to speak to-day with your majesty. The queen had at the outset listened with speechless amazement, and as Champon approached the close of her communication, with her eyes opened wider and wider, she stood as rigid as a statue. But now, all at once, life and animation took possession of the statue. A glowing purple-red diffused itself over her cheeks, and directing her eyes, which blazed with wonderful fire, to the king, she said with a loud and commanding voice, "'Sire, you have heard this story. Your wife is accused, and the queen is even charged with having a secret understanding with Cardinal Rohan. I desire an investigation.' a rigid, strict investigation. Call at once Lord Brutelia, that we may take counsel with him. But I insist upon having this done. And your will is law, madame, said the king, directing an affectionate glance at the excited face of the queen. Come out, Brutelia. And as between the curtains appeared the serious, sad face of the minister, the king turned to his wife and said, I wish that he might be a secret witness of this interview, and survey the position which you should take in this matter. Oh, sire! exclaimed Marie Antoinette, extending her hand to him. So you did not for an instant doubt my innocence? No, truly, not a moment, answered the king with a smile. But now come, madame, we will consider with Brutalia what is to be done, and then we will summon the Abbe de Vermont that he may take part in our deliberations. On the next day, the 15th of August, a brilliant select company was assembled in the saloons of Versailles. It was a great holiday, Ascension Day, and the king and queen, with the entire court, intended to be present at the mass, which the cardinal and the grand almoner would celebrate in the chapel. The entire brilliant court was assembled, the cardinal arrayed in his suitable apparel and wearing all the tokens of his rank, had entered the great reception-room, and only awaited the arrival of the royal pair, to lead them into the church. The fine and much-admired face of the cardinal wore to-day a beamy expression, and his great black eyes were continually directed, while he was talking with the Duc de Conte and the Count d'Artois toward the door which the royal couple would enter. All at once the portal opened, a royal page stepped in and glanced searchingly around, and seeing the towering figure of the cardinal in the middle of the hall, he at once advanced through the glittering company and approached the cardinal. Monsieur, he whispered to him, his majesty is awaiting your eminence's immediate appearance in the cabinet. The cardinal broke off abruptly his conversation with the Lord Comte, hurried through the hall, and entered the cabinet. No one was there except the king and queen, and in the background of the apartment, in the recess formed by a window, the premier, Baron Brutelia, the old and irreconcilable enemy of the proud cardinal, who in this hour would have his reward for his year-long and ignominious treatment of the prince. The cardinal had entered with a confident, dignified bearing, but the cold look of the king and the flaming eye of the queen appeared to confuse him a little, and his proud eye sank to the ground. "'You have been buying diamonds of Beaumere?' asked the king brusquely. "'Yes, sire,' answered the cardinal. "'What have you done with them? Answer me, I command you!' "'Sire,' said the cardinal, after a pause, "'I suppose that they were given to the queen.' "'Who entrusted you with this commission?' "'Sire, a lady named Countess Le Montvalet, 
she gave me a letter from her majesty and i believed that i should be doing the queen a favour if i should undertake the care of the commission which the queen had the grace to entrust in me i cried the queen with an expression of intense scorn should i entrust you with a commission in my behalf i who for eight years have never deigned to bestow a word upon you and i should employ such a person as you a beggar of places i see plainly cried the cardinal i see plainly that some one has deceived you grievously about me i will pay for the necklace the earnest wish to please your majesty has blinded your eyes regarding me i have planned no deception and am now bitterly undeceived but i will pay for the necklace and you suppose that ends all said the queen with a burst of anger you think that with a pitiful pang for the brilliance you can atone for the disgrace which you have brought upon your queen no no sir i desire a rigid investigation i insist upon it that all who have taken part in this ignominious deception be brought to a relentless investigation give me the proofs that you have been deceived and that you are not much rather the deceiver ah madame cried the cardinal with a look at once so full of reproach and confidence that the queen fairly shook with anger here are the proofs of my innocence continued he drawing a small portfolio from his pocket and taking from it a folded paper there is the letter of the queen to the countess lamont in which her majesty empowered me to purchase the diamonds the king took the paper looked over it hastily read the signature and gave it with a suspicious shrug of the shoulders to his wife the queen seized the letter with the wild fury of a tigress which has at last found its prey and with breathless haste ran over the paper then she broke out into loud scornful laughter and pointing to the letter she looked at the cardinal with glances of flame that is not my handwriting that is not my signature cried she furiously how are you sir a prince and grand almoner of france how are you so ignorant so foolish as to believe that i could subscribe myself marie antoinette of france everybody knows that queens write only their baptismal names as signatures and you alone have not known that i see into it murdered the cardinal pale under the look of the queen and so weak that he had to rest upon the table for support i see into it i have been dreadfully deceived the king took a paper from his table and gave it to the cardinal do you confess that you wrote this letter to Beaumere, in which you send him thirty thousand francs in behalf of the queen in part payment for the necklace yes sire i confess it answered the cardinal with a low voice which seemed to contradict what he uttered he confesses it cried the queen gnashing her teeth and making up her little hand into a clenched fist he has held me fit for such infamy me his queen you assert that you bought the jewels for the queen did you deliver them in person no sire the countess lamont did that in your name cardinal yes in my name sire and she gave at the same time a receipt to the queen for one hundred and fifty thousand francs which i lent the queen toward the purchase and what reward did you have from the queen the cardinal hesitated then as he felt the angry cold contemning look of the queen resting upon him the red blood mounted into his face and with a withering glance at marie antoinette he said you wish madame that i should speak the whole truth sire the queen rewarded me for this little work of love in a manner worthy of a queen 
she granted me an appointment in the park of Versailles. At this new and fearful charge the queen cried aloud, and springing forward like a tigress, she seized the arm of her husband and shook it. Sire, said she, listen to this traitor bringing infamy upon a queen. Will you bear it? Can his purple protect the villain? No, it cannot, and it shall not, cried the king. Brutalia, do your duty. And you, cardinal, who venture to accuse your queen, to scandalize the good name of the wife of your king, go. Sire, stammered the cardinal, sire, I— Not a word, interrupted the king, raising his hand and pointing toward the door. Out, I say, out with you. The cardinal staggered to the door, and entered the hall filled with glittering throng, who were still whispering, laughing, and walking to and fro. But hardly had he advanced a few steps, when behind him, upon the threshold of the royal cabinet, appeared the minister Brutelia. "'Lieutenant!' cried Brutelia with a loud voice, turning to the officer in the command of the guard. "'Lieutenant, in the name of the king, arrest the Cardinal de Rohan, and take him under escort to the Bastille.' A general cry of horror followed these words, which rolled like a crashing thunderclap through the careless, coquetting, and unsuspecting company. Then followed a breathless silence. All eyes were directed to the cardinal, who, pale as death, and yet maintaining his noble carriage, walked along at ease. At this point a young officer, pale like the cardinal, like all in fact, approached the great ecclesiastic and gently took his arm. Cardinal said he with sorrowful tone in the name of the king i arrest your eminence i am ordered monsieur to conduct you to the bastille come then my son answered the cardinal quickly making his way slowly through the throng which respectfully opened to let him pass come since the king commands it let us go to the bastille he passed on to the door but when the officer had opened it he turned round once more to the hall Standing erect, with all the exalted dignity of his station and his person, he gave the amazed company his blessing. Then the door closed behind him, and with pale faces the lords and ladies of the court dispersed to convey the horrible tidings to Versailles and Paris, that the king had caused the cardinal, the grand almoner of France, to be arrested in his official robes, and that it was the will of the queen. And the further the tidings rolled, the more the report enlarged, like an avalanche of calumnies. In the evening, Morat thundered in his club. Woe! Woe to the Austrian! She borrowed money of the Colonel de Rohan to buy jewels for herself, jewels while the people hungered. Now, when the Colonel wants his money, the Queen denies having received the money and lets the head of the church be dragged to the Bastille. Woe! Woe to the Austrian! Woe! "'Woe to the Austrian!' muttered Brother Simon, who sat near the platform on which Marat was. "'We shall not forget it that she buys her jewels for the millions of francs, while we have not a sou to buy bread with. Woe to the Austrian!' And all the men of the club raised their fists and muttered with him, "'Woe to the Austrian!' End of chapter 4 Recording by Maggie Travers